Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. All right, here we are. We're in November already. And you know what that means. The holidays are right around the corner. And with that comes a lot of things to do. Got people to buy for, parties to plan. Wouldn't it be nice if you could check something off your to-do list right now? Well, you can. You can register for CanMed 23. If you haven't already heard, CanMed 23 will be taking place May 15th through 17th at the Marriott Beach Resort on Marco Island. This industry-leading event will feature three full days of cannabis science content from more than 30 presenters and instructors representing our key focus areas of science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. And new for CanMed 23, we will also explore psilocybin and psychedelic mushrooms. Now, due to the limited capacity of our new location, CanMed 23 is an invitation-only event, and we expect that it will sell out. So, if you've already gotten your invitation to CanMed 23, please register and get that off your to-do list. And if you haven't, head over to CanMedEvents.com now and request your invitation. I hope to see you there. Our guest today is Dr. Swathi Varanasi. Dr. Swathi is a bilingual pharmacist specializing in integrative and preventative health. Dr. Swathi has paved the way for other healthcare professionals to pursue non-traditional career paths through creating postdoctoral training programs, industry internships, and online courses focused on integrative medicine and patient-centered shared decision-making. During our conversation, we discussed how Dr. Swathi found cannabis medicine and developed an interest in it, how pharmacists can help cannabis patients with drug-to-drug interactions, the lack of education about the endocannabinoid system for pharmacists and other healthcare professionals, how difficult it can be for healthcare professionals to find trusted sources of information around cannabis medicine, whether pharmacists should be accessible in cannabis dispensaries, and cannabimimetics, the things we can do to improve our endocannabinoid tone. Before we get to my conversation with Swathi, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Medicine Women Health. Medicine Women's team of specialists includes medical doctors, naturopaths, medical cannabis experts, nutritionists, and alternative health practitioners. These integrative teams evaluate health issues and design targeted protocols to promote personal healing. Medicine Women's protocols have successfully alleviated symptoms of cancer, autoimmune diseases, and neurological conditions, as well as providing overall health rejuvenation. Learn more at medicinewomenhealth.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Swathi Varanasi.
Good morning, Swathi. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I'm excited to talk with you today because I believe you are the first pharmacist that we've ha had on the podcast. And Wow, I'm the first? That's amazing. Yeah, and hopefully not the last because yes. I know that you have written and spoken about the important role that pharmacists play in helping patients navigate their cannabis medicine journey. But, Absolutely. But before we dig into that, I was hoping you could tell us a bit about how you got interested or got started in cannabis medicine. Yeah, so... Growing up, I was around Ayurvedic herbs, and so I always was kind of in this bridge between the conventional and unconventional, you know, and the, the East meets West. So was always very interested in the preventative side of healing and really how we can work with prescriptions and whether that's in conjunction, um, if we add herbs, if we add any other healing modalities, whether it be nutrition or, you know, talking about sleep hygiene or homeopathy, therapeutic aromatherapy, I was always interested in how a healthcare professional could guide a patient with all these different modalities that could potentially work for someone. And so to me, when I saw a pharmacist in a pharmacy, I saw them, you know, standing between the prescriptions and the supplements. So going to pharmacy school, I really thought there would be a wide array of information on all of this. But as some people probably know, the pharmacy curriculum is is very clinically driven, very clinically focused, and is very, you know, very specific about prescription medications more than the other side of healing. So I was drawn to how can I be that healthcare professional that looks at both sides, that sees the value in both sides. And so that's how I found Integrative Health. And I found an incredible mentor um, out in LA. And at the time I was going to school in South Carolina and I grew up in the Northeast. So I really was just on a whim. I just messaged this appy preceptor saying, you know, like what you're doing is so inspirational. I would love to do a rotation. So that's Dr. Pam Tarlow. I had a chance to do a rotation with her. And just a few days into the rotation, realized, wow, like this is absolutely where I fit in pharmacy. This is what I've been searching for. And so I asked her if there was a way that I could move to L.A. after graduation and train with her. And so our conversations from there kind of evolved. And we got to the point where we were like, you know, we should start a postdoctoral residency training program for pharmacists interested in pursuing this like you know, unconventional path. And so um, with her, we created, the, the two of us created this um, integrative health pharmacy residency program. And so I was the first resident as well as the co-founder. So I was really able to craft my entire experience and training around what I really wanted to learn about. And I kept coming back to herbs. I kept coming back to cannabis and I was just so fascinated by it. And honestly, I, I always say that like the nerdiest people love cannabis and the endocannabinoid system because it's this brand new, exciting thing to learn about that. Unfortunately, we don't get a lot of information in our, whether it's undergraduate or postgraduate curriculum. So I found that just, I just kept coming back over and over being like, wow, there's so much here. There's so much possibility in the way that cannabis or other herbs altogether can really heal people. So um, yeah, I, I did a lot of work in cannabis during my training. And then after that, 
continue to do a lot of different educational opportunities and different education um, programs, whether they were, you know, creating online courses or creating other training programs for other people. So, um, yeah, I've done a, a wide array of things, but at the end of the day, really what I think is most important is patient-centered shared decision-making. So that's really putting the patient at the center of every discussion. And as an integrative health pharmacist, it's really important to me to figure out what the patient's treatment goals are. And then Kind of crafting a perfect plan that works for them and of course a plan that's going to work to achieve their overall treatment goals so it's it's really like this um like conversation and this like collaboration with the patient and when you know it's let's say a patient comes to me and says i'm having issues with insomnia i mean there's so many different ways we can talk about healing insomnia and i always say you know um, sleep doesn't just happen at night. And so there's so many things we can do during the day that can also help with our quality and quantity of sleep, whether that's, you know, the utilization of cannabinoids, whether, that, whether that's talking about sleep hygiene, nutrition, um, then a lot of the other modalities that I mentioned beforehand too. So it really, it comes down to what the patient wants and then how I can help them with my knowledge base being wide and expansive of all these different possibilities. Excellent. And I know that one of the main roles that pharmacists can play is helping patients navigate these drug-to-drug -drug interactions. I was wondering if you could speak a bit more about that. Yeah, that's definitely true and definitely something that's really important that that I wish more people talked about. And I wish there was more focus in, you know, medical professional curriculum on this that, you know, for example, with cannabis, there are certain drugs that if I see them on a patient profile, they're an automatic red flag to me. And I mean, as incredible as cannabis is, there are other really great herbs that don't have as many drug interactions that maybe could be a better fit for a patient depending on their, you know, specific scenario and what they want to achieve. And so to me, you know, there are some, you know, anticonvulsant medications, so like anti-seizure medications like clobazam or valproic acid, but those are big red flags to me. Hmm. And, you know, there are some other medications out there that I, you know, I might have caution with, and that's like a much longer list, but those are two definitely that are red flags. And then another one would be warfarin, which you might've heard of warfarin. Warfarin literally interacts with everything. Um, hmm. And so it's, also one of those medications, if I see a patient on that, and I actually just got an email yesterday from a patient, um, one of the things, so I co-founded a CBD wellness brand, and one of the things that we offer are consultations, and we have like an Ask Dr. Swafi part of the page where anyone can message me a question. And so I received an email yesterday of someone asking like, oh, can I incorporate CBD into my regimen? If so, like what, what would you recommend and what dose would you recommend and all that? And so then I had to get more information and the, the customer responded back saying, you know, this is my drug list. That's the first thing I ask, you know, if people want to incorporate cannabis or CBD or any herb, can I see your current drug list of the medications, supplements and herbs that you're taking regularly? And so this person came back and Warfarin was on the list. And I unfortunately had to say, you know, the cannabis is not the right choice for you, unfortunately. And always the conversation comes down to benefit versus risk. 
And so if we can optimize the benefit while decreasing the risk, that's always the goal when it comes to incorporating anything new into a regimen. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things we always have to keep in mind with cannabis is, um, you know, there are some examples where it's not necessarily a good fit. I mean, I, I know we like to think that it's um, it's an all upside sort of <laughs> sort of option for people because it's a natural product and everything. But, you know, like like you just pointed out, there are certain people who are on certain medications that it's just not going to work for them. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the myths that I like to debunk is that just because it's a natural product doesn't mean that it's safe for everyone. I mean, like a lot of mushrooms are poisonous and those are naturally occurring as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in nature is going to necessarily um, be like a safe option for everyone. Right. And mm -hmm. in, there's usually some pushback from the industry when when we point out that there are, you know, some potential dangers just because, you know, prohibition is still on the minds of everyone. And, you know, any sort of bad news about cannabis is, is taken, um, taken poorly, but I think we need to have an adult conversation about it and, um, just make sure people know that, um, proceed with caution in some, in some instances. So, yes. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about how how patients can sort of access pharmacists, because I know that, you know, a lot of people, myself included, the the rare times that we interact with pharmacists is just when we pick up a prescription from CVS and, and they ask if we have any questions and we typically just say no and, and grab our prescription. But how, how can we better use pharmacists, um, not just in cannabis, but in general? Yeah, I mean, pharmacists are the drug experts. So we're the ones that know the most information about these medications that you're picking up. And um, also, we're the, the people that should know most about, you know, what's going on with the supplements and the herbs. And, you know, as much as that, I would love for that to be the case. It's not really the case all the time. But I really hope and I want to be a part of building up a lot of this curriculum for various healthcare professionals where if like, for example, a lot of brands will say, go ask your doctor or like, oh, we can't answer that, go ask your doctor. But then the thing that worries me is that a lot of the quote unquote doctors or providers or pharmacists don't know a lot of this nitty gritty detail to really help. And then you know, when it comes to that, then the patient just feels really lost and not heard and not seen. And that's the last thing we want is a patient to not get the answers they're looking for. So a lot of that, the root of all of that really is this need for education and the need for there to be access to this kind of information that's evidence-based, that's scientifically driven. I always joke that like right now we're in this like sea of misinformation right now with cannabis where everyone is posting about it and i mean anecdotes are great but we can't base you know scientific decision making on anecdotes so we have to understand that you know who are the experts who are the trusted sources of information and where can we find it because once you know more healthcare providers have access they'll be able to really answer those questions pharmacists included and i have to say out of all the questions i receive by email or via linkedin most of them are from pharmacists and they're wanting to know how to answer these questions because truth be told i mean patients and customers are asking about it 
And they don't want to say, oh, just don't take it because that's, you know, the go-to response a lot of the time for providers is because, you know, they're optimizing benefit versus risk. And so to them, if they don't know that there could be a potential benefit, they just want to decrease the risk. So then their go-to response would just be like, oh, don't take it. And I'm seeing more and more people messaging me asking, you know, like, these number of patients keep coming to me and asking me about CBD and whether they can use it for, you know, pain or to improve their sleep quality or this, that, and the other. And they want to know how to answer and they want to know that they can be a trusted source of information for their patient, which honestly is very inspiring that these healthcare providers are out there interacting with people daily and they want to be able to provide that information. So they're looking online and trying to find people that they can message that they trust to get this info. So the fact that there are people messaging about it really means that there is this need for widespread education to help providers that can thereby help the patients. Yeah. And I imagine it must be difficult too with, with cannabis medicine in particular, because the endocannabinoid system it's you know involved in almost every system in the human body so you have to imagine that there is going to be some interaction with with any medication that you're on right right and so back to the education part and you know maybe sort of some of the lack of information part how much of that is that there's just not enough information out there about some of these drug to drug interactions just because i mean cannabis is so new and the studies just haven't been done so partially, yes, um, it, some of it is that there isn't information out there, but more than anything else, it's like the, there needs to be an overall understanding of the way that cannabis works in the body. And like, for example, the way it's metabolized in the body. And if we understand that, you know, CBD and THC are metabolized by the CYP450 system. So this is an enzyme system in the body that really does metabolize the majority of medications on the market, medications meaning prescription options on the market, then that means that there is a possibility that there could be interactions. And so even if there aren't studies, okay, at this point there are some, but there are not an extensive amount, we need to just look at how cannabis actually works in the body. And so if we understand how they're metabolized, aka how they're broken down in the body, then we can really understand, okay, then there could be potential drug interactions if other medications are metabolized by the same exact enzymes. And I mean, this is not unlike thinking about other drug interactions. So many drug interaction conversations that, you know, that I've had or that I've learned about in school or in training or afterwards really comes down to what enzymes are metabolizing these substances. And if they're metabolized by the same substance, it's possible one could get in the way of the other. And so at the end of the day, yes, studies are great and studies are the ideal, you know, benchmark. But if we have a general understanding of how these things work in the body, then then we can turn to that before looking at, you know, very specific PKPD studies, for example. Right. And now to help sort of patients avoid some of these drug to drug interactions, like and I don't know what the legalities are around this or anything, but, you know, if someone were to be getting one of those red flag medications from a pharmacy, can or should the, the pharmacist be asking if they are using cannabis as a supplement or? 
this would be my ideal situation. Yes, mm. I think that that would be awesome. I wish there was a way that in any pharmacy, it would even come up as a flag, like on the you know pharmacist side, certain medications will pop up with like different flags and warnings. And I would love if that was an option and that was integrated into their system. And then the other side of that is actually, you know, kind of like in the dispensary side. And so there are um, some states that do have it mandated that pharmacists be almost like a pharmacist in charge of the dispensary, which I think is an incredible model. And I absolutely think that that's the right way to go. And granted, these are a lot of states where it's not recreationally legal, it's more medically legal, but um, there are some states really getting it right and incorporating pharmacists in every single, you know, initial patient consult so like any patient who's new to that dispensary would come with their med list and be able to talk to a pharmacist that would in theory be trained on how these drug drug and drug herb interactions could play a role in incorporating cannabis into their regimen which i think is amazing so pharmacists can play a role you know from the dispensary side on this and then also in like the pharmacy you know conventional pharmacy setting as well i think that this is such a key place where pharmacists could mitigate so much risk or potential risk for people interested in cannabis. And I think that this is, you know, because this is not a mainstay in most places, this is why a lot of people try one CBD product or one cannabis product. And then all of a sudden are just like, Nope, it doesn't work. I don't want to look at it ever again. And they kind of write it off because you know, for example, maybe they picked up a CBD oil that's supposed to be taken under your tongue, but they put it on top of their tongue or they just threw it in a smoothie and didn't feel any difference. So it's like, it's so much of this is yes, based in education, but, but also just the fact that there really needs to be more widespread discussion about it. Yeah. No, I think that model of of having a pharmacist available in the dispensary, yeah, I agree with you. That's that's fantastic. And in kind of building off that point about people maybe not knowing how to properly use the product, how difficult is it too that of finding the right dose for cannabinoids and then finding good product consistency as well? I mean, this is this is so key. So Um, What you might have heard before is people say start low, um, go slow, all of that, you know, which I definitely agree with. But I also like to add at the end, stay low, because I think that people maybe think that, you know, just like a prescription as you go up, it will work better. And that might be true um, for some people, um, but it might not necessarily be true for everyone. So I think that everyone has to find their sweet spot and their you know, perfect milligram amount. And you'd be surprised some people, it might be really low for people who are, you know, users every single day. And then for some people, it might be really high who are also users every day. So it really depends the person. And I think that's a bit of the struggle in the dosing world for cannabis is because it's not dependent on, you know, race or gender or, you know, like to an extent, it's dependent on body composition, but not really at the end of the day. Um, And it's just really depends on the person and their like trial and error. But I think that that's why healthcare professionals being involved in the discussion is so important. Because if there is someone in your corner guiding you and helping you with saying, okay, maybe you start with a quarter dropper of your CBD oil, 
the first day. Maybe you take that for a few days. You see how you feel. I always think it's really important to keep like a CBD or cannabis journal Mm -hmm. so that once you're taking certain doses, then you can write it down and and then you can evaluate and see, okay, how did this make me feel? Did this, you know, was this enough to make me feel how I want to feel? Um, and then after that, you can, you know, continually titrate the dose up if you feel like that's appropriate. But I mean, one of the things I love about natural products and cannabis in particular is that so many formulations allow for this sense of patient, you know, empowerment in their own treatment. And they're able to take as much as they feel like they need that day after going through the titration process of like, okay, maybe this is not the right dose. Let me take a little bit more. And maybe some days you wake up and you're like, oh, I need that like extra 10 milligrams to make me, you know, ready for the day or to help focus just a little bit more today. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that that's a part of it. Yeah. Great. Um, And so, yeah, coming back to this whole, um, lack of training or, or maybe lack of knowledge among healthcare professionals. Um, first of all, were you taught anything about the endocannabinoid system in your tra- in your training? And um, is that trend changing? Are our medical schools beginning to offer more courses on the ECS? So, okay. So when I was in school, there was absolutely nothing in my curriculum about this. And honestly, it was like looking back on it now, I'm just like, wow, what about a lost opportunity to be able to speak to students and even like new practitioners about this stuff? So when I was in school, no, granted, that was a while oh, ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I see that trend changing. And even, for example, today I'm speaking um, at a pharmacy school about cannabis medicine. So um, and it's a lot of what I do now is I I lecture quite often, whether it's to, you know, a student group, like I lecture quite often at um, University of Southern California, so I live between LA and Toronto, so I um, lecture there, and then um, a lot of lecturing um, during COVID went remote, so I've had a chance to um, speak at a lot of other universities, like today I'm speaking at a university in Ohio, but it's of course virtual, so um that's really opened up a lot more opportunity as well to realize that, oh, you know, we can bring in all these experts, but we don't need to necessarily fly them in. We can have them over webinars. So um, I see more and more schools interested and more and more schools, web- and even if it's not just on cannabis, on like the idea of like integrative health and integrative wellness, which I think is really important because cannabis plays an amazing role in that, but it's not everything when it comes to integrative health like there's so many other aspects and you know this feeds into this topic that i love cannabimimetics of all these like other potential substances and activities that can influence our endocannabinoid system that are not just you know simply like based on cannabinoids or cannabis there's a lot of other things we do in our daily life for example that we don't even think about that is actually influencing our endocannabinoid system every day. Um, one of my favorite examples is exercise. And so this is another one of my like favorite myths to bust is that when everyone's talking about like the endorphin high after working out. Right. So this came out like decades ago, but um, there were a few researchers looking into the different neurotransmitters, different neurochemicals that are impacted with working out. And so they found that, yes, like all the way down the biochemical cascade that endorphins did increase. And then that really caught on. And there was a lot of marketing and 
you know, not everyone really talks about working out as, you know, like the direct benefit of, or rather one of the direct benefits of working out is, you know, this feeling of endorphins and this like runner's high. Um, but actually, if you look, you know, earlier in the cascade, a lot of it has to do with the release of anandamide. And anandamide is an endocannabinoid that we, you know, synthesize on demand in our body that interacts with the endocannabinoid system, and in particular with CB1 receptor. And so this receptor is the same receptor that, you know, is, you know, most closely associated with the central nervous system function. So again, like in the spinal cord, in the brain, and also the one that THC binds with and has a very high affinity with. And so you know, if anandamide is also binding to the CB1 receptor, it would make sense that we get these feelings of euphoria and this, or this feeling of almost being high from working out. And um, so that's like one of my favorite examples is that cannabinoids are all around us and in things that we do all the time, um, but we just don't think about it. And then another, you know, another way that it plays a role really is in like spices and in the way that we cook, whether it's eating at home or eating out. And, you know, beta-caryophylline is a terpene that is found in a lot of, you know, naturally occurring, found in a lot of different plants and spices, like for example, black pepper. And so beta-caryophylline has been shown that it has an affinity to the CB2 receptor. And it's really interesting because growing up, my mom would make, every time I didn't feel well, she would make, you know, this like lentil kind of porridge and it was lovely and she would always put a lot of black pepper in it because it was you know something that she always had growing up something that she continued to do and she said you know black pepper will help you and help bolster your immune system kind of a thing and something that I had always heard and then now learning about the endocannabinoid system and how so many things impact it whether directly or indirectly knowing that beta-carophylline is an active component and that it interacts with the CB2 receptor that's most closely associated with immune function and, you know, optimizing immune function, it completely makes sense, but almost from like a scientific standpoint versus, you know, something I heard so many times growing up and then looking more into herbs and things like black pepper. It's not just that it also interacts with, of course, a lot of other systems and things, but it's, it's incredible to think that without even knowing it and without even necessarily incorporating cannabinoids or cannabis into our daily life, we're already improving what's called our endocannabinoid tone. Mm. And really that is just the overall functionality of the endocannabinoid system and how important that is because there's this new phenomenon that some people are just born with what's called endocannabinoid deficiency. And it's just the meaning that, you know, endocannabinoid, your endocannabinoid system is not working at its, you know, highest, most optimal function. And so just thinking like, okay, how can I optimize my system? And maybe for whatever reason, if someone's on warfarin or on other drugs where maybe incorporating cannabis is not the safest choice for them, there's a lot of other things they can do. And so coming from an integrative perspective, love to talk about how we can make our endocannabinoid system work best from a cannabinoid perspective, but also from like a non-cannabinoid perspective. Yeah, great. I'm, I'm glad you brought up cannabimimetics because I, I saw that you had spoken about that at the Cannabis Science Conference. And um, that was a new word for me. I hadn't heard it before. So um, it's really interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up. 
And I'm glad that you brought up that anandamide is actually the compound that gives you the, the runner's high or the euphoria after you work out. I, I actually had a, a t-shirt made up that's just the chemical um, structure of anandamide that I wear to the gym. No one knows what it means, but I know what it means. It's just for me anyway. So, <laughs> but <laughs> you, you mentioned that with the cannabimimetics, there are ways to kind of improve our endocannabinoid tone, whether it be through exercise or things that we're eating. I'm, I'm curious about the opposite though. Are there certain maybe medications or lifestyle choices that are people make that can negatively affect their endocannabinoid tone that, that we should really avoid? This is a great question. I don't think anyone's ever really asked me this in this way. So um, if we think about the goal of the overall endocannabinoid system really is balance and homeostasis. So the endocannabinoid system, you know, is able to synthesize these endocannabinoids on demand whenever, you know, it senses that things might be out of balance in our overall body system or in like particular organ systems or neurotransmitter systems. And it tries to do what it can to rectify that. What really can get in the way is an excess of unwanted inflammation. And a lot of what homeostasis has to do with is really regulating the amount of inflammation in the body. And so this is also something that I, I've started talking about a little bit more recently, um, but this term anti-inflammatory, and I see it everywhere. And it's just so important to note that our body does need a little bit of an inflammatory response. Our body does need what I like to call a healthy response to inflammation. Because, you know, if there's pollutants or, you know, other, you know, foreign substances, things that we don't want to enter our body or that shouldn't be there, then we do want a way for our body to react and our immune system to fight it off. And so we, we don't want an, you know, an anti-inflammatory effect, but cannabinoids as well as the endocannabinoid system really help to optimize our inflammatory response and really make it healthy and the best it can be. And so a lot of what gets in the way of, you know, increasing or improving endocannabinoid tone and a lot of what has to do with endocannabinoid deficiency has to do with this increased inflammation and it's really interesting now because a lot of research is coming out talking about chronic disease states, like, you know, whether they're, you know, cardiovascular disease, like heart disease or you know, pulmonary disease, or um, even things like anxiety and depression. Um, and all of these things really having a root, oh, as well as diabetes has been another big one um, about all these, you know, kind of chronic disease states that we all deal with on that so many of us rather deal with on the daily that, you know, the, the root of a lot of these is inflammation and this unwanted excess of inflammation. And so if we can work with our endocannabinoid system to help improve endocannabinoid tone, then, you know, this would, this would really help. And also stress has a lot to do with inflammation and what type of stress we have in our life, whether that's you know, inner stress or like external stressors, it could be a lot of different things. Um, and so that's another thing that I, I love to talk about too, is like the role of adaptogens in our life and adaptogens are herbs, substances, activities that can really help our improve our body's response to stress and overall stressors, whether that's external or internal stressors. And a lot of that comes back to the endocannabinoid system. 
It all comes back to the endocannabinoid system. A lot of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Swathi. So winding down here, before I let you go, I did want to give you the opportunity to plug any social media or any research or resources that the audience can check out to learn more about the things that we discussed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, yeah, please um, check out my website. It's drswathi.com. So D-O-C-T-O-R. S-W-A-T-H-I. I try to keep it as updated as possible with like recent, you know, speaking engagements, things that I, um, different webinars, things that I've done to provide access from an educational perspective. I also keep playlists going on my YouTube channel um, of different interviews and things I've been a part of to again be that source of trusted information and or be one of them rather um, in this um, really important Canada space. And so um, that would be something to check out. Also, I'm really proud of the, the brand that I co-founded, our CBD wellness brand um, named Element Apothic. So that's E-L-E-M-E-N-T-A-P-O-T-H-E-C.com. Um, and yeah, you're welcome to message me through any of those platforms so we can connect. Excellent. All right, Swathi, thanks again for joining us on the podcast and hope to see you out at CanMed. Sounds great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Swathi Varanasi. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Medicine Women Health. Our next episode drops November 23rd. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out the new and improved CanMedEvents.com. The team really did an exceptional job updating the website with all the information about our CanMed 23 event. And of course, you can still find videos of all the previous CanMed presentations and panels in the CanMed archive. You can also find all the previous episodes of the podcast as well. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for email alerts to get all the notifications around this innovative industry-leading event. I also invite you to engage with us on all our social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed events. And lastly, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Doing so really helps us improve our rankings and reach more listeners. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to join us on the next CanMed Coffee Talk.